to Alumni Conversations. What you're about to hear is a Facebook Live conversation that took place between members of our Laterno community and our alumni. These bi-weekly conversations dive into stories from our time as students at Laterno University and the years that followed. Originally founded by R.G. and Evelyn Laterno in the mid-1940s, Laterno University is a comprehensive institution of Christian higher education where educators engage learners to nurture Christian virtue, to develop competency and ingenuity in the professional fields, to integrate faith and work, and to serve the local and global community. We claim every workplace and every nation is our mission field, and so Laterno University graduates are professionals of ingenuity and Christ-like character. They see life's work as a holy calling with an eternal impact. Welcome to Alumni Conversations. been an incredible year this year sitting down with alumni starting back in July and getting to hear their stories and talk through their journey to Laterno, their time here at Laterno, and what God's had them doing since. So if you haven't, I encourage you to go back and, and watch or listen to those episodes that started back last July. We've talked to nurses and entrepreneurs, we've talked uh, to educators, and we've talked um, to medical teams and engineers all across the world um, and all across the nation. So if you haven't heard those conversations, I encourage you to go back. Well, I'm here on the campus of Laterno University, and as you can see behind me, it's fairly quiet. The year has come to a close, and we have so much to be thankful for. Not only were we able to hold in-person uh, classes and on-campus residential life throughout the entire year, and we're so grateful for God watching over our community and, and the decisions that our students and our resident life faculty made and staff made um, to make sure that we could persevere and continue on. We're so thankful for that. Uh, we are also so thankful not only for making it through a year, but for this last weekend getting to celebrate with 480 graduates as they walked across the stage, graduating in degrees ranging from education to engineering to aviation and nursing, from, graduate pro or from undergraduate programs to graduate programs. And what a joy it was to get to meet those students and celebrate with them. This year, the alumni family got just that much more incredible as those 480 students joined uh, with it. Well, in addition to celebrating a successful year and celebrating an incredible graduation this weekend, we are also uh, incredibly grateful and, and grateful and excited for what God has done. As you may remember, last fall, the Board of Trustees came to the university and said, instead of raising the typical $1 million, we need you to raise $2 million this year to help us cover the extra costs, both seen and unseen, related to COVID-19. And so as you may remember, we were able to give scholarships, additional scholarships to over 300 students last fall to make sure that they could come back. Maybe a parent lost a job or, or somehow over the summer and last spring, they were impacted by COVID-19 in such a way that they weren't going to be able to return to Laterno. And so through scholarships, we were able to, to bring them back and get them through this year. In addition, we were able to keep our athletics programs going this spring, which 17 sports compete at the same time. And that required testing of teammates and players all the time. Um, as well as things that needed to be put place in class. If you remember last spring when COVID-19 hit, we didn't really know what we needed to do. And so everybody went to uh, sort of these measures of, okay, let's be as cautious as we can be, and then let's figure out what we can pull back. And so over the course of the last year, um, last fall, things got put in place in our classroom and across campus to make sure students could return to campus and we wouldn't have to shut down a month later. Well, over the course of the year, some of those things have been relaxed a bit, um, while some weren't, and we held on to them just to make sure we could make it to this point. 
But all that to say, all those things cost a little extra money this year. And so the board of trustees said, we need you to raise an extra million. Well, I am so excited to share with you that we are now sitting at 98% of that $2 million goal, either raised or promised by the end of our fiscal year, which is the end of June. And so we've got just under $60,000 left to raise. So if the Lord has put Laterno University on your heart this year, if you want to be a part of what he's done here and celebrate what he's doing, we would invite you to join us by giving a small gift or a large gift, wherever that might be, and help us close that gap for those needs this year. You can do that at letu.edu slash give. That's letu.edu slash give. Well, in these alumni conversations, part of my heart and my desire has been to introduce you, our alumni and family and friends, to new people or to people you've never met. Um, I guess that's new people as well. Uh, to people you've never met and hear their stories, get a, a small taste of our alumni community. Well, over the course of the year, what I also realized is very few of us have actually ever heard from R.G. Letourneau and Evelyn Letourneau, mom and pop, our founders themselves. We've heard about them, we've been on campus, uh, we've heard their stories, but very few have actually heard their voices. And so in this very special final episode of Alumni Conversations for this year, I wanted to give you a chance to hear from mom and pop. Back in the 1960s, they would speak in chapel frequently. And in 1967, Pop joined students in chapel here on campus. And students were invited to then ask him a question. So in this version of Alumni Conversations, rather than me asking questions of alumni, you're gonna to get to hear our 1960s alumni asking questions of R.G. Letourneau. Questions from why he made design decisions he did in engineering to his greatest accomplishments, uh, to what um, he sees as the next sort of frontier for his work. And, and it's a really fun conversation. So for those of you who are engineers, there's gonna be lots of details here you'll enjoy. For those of us who are not engineers, you're still gonna enjoy hearing from him and hearing his excitement. It's clear that R.G. Letourneau not only loved Jesus, but loved the things that Jesus allowed him to do, building machines and serving other people. I want you to listen particularly to one question from Van Secord, a 1967 graduate. Van asks RG, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? Well, RG follows up with saying that he's had a lot of fun building a lot of things. And, and then the conversation takes a spiritual twist. And RG says, the greatest accomplishment of my life is Jesus coming into my life and being saved. What you're then going to hear later on is, is we're going to transition from that chapel to another chapel where mom and pop shared with students about the founding of Letourneau in, uh, Technical Institute and what God had done here. Because I want you to hear from mom and her joy and her enthusiasm and her laughter. And pop will also share more of his story of coming to know Jesus in that part of the clip. So in this very special edition of Alumni Conversation, I want to invite you to listen to RG and Evelyn Letourneau, mom and pop share their stories. Now we've put the audio track to just some pictures that we had available. Apologies that because of the busyness of the season, uh, there's not a whole lot of um, flashiness to this. It really is just going to be pictures for you to catch glimpses of them and the work they did and the machines they built. Um, so uh, apologies for the simplicity of the presentation, but we do hope you'll enjoy hearing from RG and Evelyn Letourneau. Mechanics of this thing, probably the electric wheel, the scraper, the offshore platform, or something like that. Will you just tell them a little bit, not a whole sermon, but a little bit about the joy of accomplishment? Like when your wife says to you in the evening, Are you going back to work? And you say, No, I'm not going back to work. I'm just going back to play with my big toys for a while, my big playthings. I just heard the other day one of your men say, Yeah, but the trouble is, he's got to have playmates and we get involved. <laughs> Amen, brother. <laughs> Why don't you just tell them something about the joy of accomplishment, what work can do, and then we'll get to the questions. 
Well, I, I never did uh, find the difference between work and play. I don't know whether you can really uh, define it for me, but when they go hunting, I know they work a lot harder than they do in the factory. Uh, <laughs> 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 and they call that play the other word. So what is the difference, really? It's the joy of accomplishment, being able to do something. And uh, that's the thing that keeps me going, because uh, <laughs> I sometimes tell the story about... Uh, one of the fellows uh, says to me, are you going to that game tonight? I said, no, I haven't got time for these games. i got some machinery to work on tonight. <coughs> a little later, uh, uh, my brother-in-law came along. He says, Bob, aren't you going to that game tonight? I said, no, I haven't got time for these games. Well, he said, you know, you really ought to go. Your son-in-law is captain of the team. I said, I know all that, but I haven't time for these games. <coughs> and uh, so uh, a little later, my, my son came along. He said, Dad, aren't you going to that game tonight? I said, no, son, I haven't time. Then I went home to supper, and my wife started on me about going to the game. Well, when we got to the game, <laughs> gave me a seat right down in front where I could really see what was going on. I didn't know too much about it, but I never because I never followed sports. I, I, I don't I, I, I don't know what all they're trying to do. This was one of those uh, I guess you call it basketball, you know, and had a basket at this end and a basket at that end. They seemed to be having quite a squabble. Uh, which basket are you going to put the ball in? <laughs> I watched them rear and tear around there like that. I said, boy, if that's play, I'd like to know what work is. <laughs> so you're trying to accomplish something. You're trying to do something that uh, the other fellow can't do. And uh, and that's what spurs me on. If I can build a bigger and a better machine, I love it. <laughs> and the day isn't long enough to, to work on it. And I, uh, I think that's the real, I, I think that's more fun than anything else you can do is to, is to do something that's really worthwhile or and maybe uh, maybe get a, a better uh, mark in, uh, than anybody else in the college, you know. That, that's worthwhile, too, isn't it? Uh, and, uh, think it through. I claim that your brains are muscles, just like the muscles in your arms. And when I was a kid, I sawed a lot of cords of cordwood up in Minnesota where you have to saw cordwood to keep warm in the wintertime, you know. And I sawed for our own cordwood, and I sawed cordwood for the neighbors, and I... These muscles of mine got pretty good so that I could uh, turn out cord after cord. And it didn't bother me too much because they were used to it, you see. And I claim your brains are just like your muscles. If you make them work, you say, boy, i got to get this. <laughs> uh, teacher's Bible asked me this question here, and i got to memorize it and have it ready. <laughs> and you, you can kind of push yourself and, and say, I, uh, in other words, I put it this way. If I said, uh, if you have a perfect recitation tomorrow morning, I'll give you $1,000, I bet you'd have it. <laughs> I wouldn't you? Don't you think you could if, if it was $1,000 at stake? Don't you believe it? Don't you think you can do it? <laughs> you probably wouldn't sleep much tonight, but you'd do it. <laughs> so I claim we have to make up our mind. We're going to do it. Well, I can tell you that, uh, that you have to go some at your age to match his energy. We came back from South America here some months ago. We had been traveling from early in the morning. I think it was San Juan we had stopped at. And then we came up to Orlando, Florida. By this time, it was about uh, 9 o'clock on Friday night. And the question arose, shall we stay here now and wait and go home on Saturday? When Mr. Letourneau, after that long day, said, well, he said, if you young fellows can stand it, I'd just as soon go right on home. <laughs> so we got home at 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. 7 o'clock in the morning, he went back to work down at the, at the shop. And in the middle of the afternoon, we took off for Oklahoma City where he spoke that evening at a banquet for uh, the Christian Businessmen's Committee 
And then on Sunday morning, we had two morning services in church and a rally in the afternoon on Sunday, and was back here and was back to work on Monday. So I'll tell you, you you'll have to go some to match the energy. Now we're going to get to the questions. Who has the first question that you'd like to ask? And let's see. All right, will you come up here and step right up here so everybody can hear it. Speak it out good and loud. Tell, tell us your name, why don't you? Uh, and what, uh, what program you're in first. Uh, Mr. R.G., I'm Jerry Hudson. I'm in the mechanical engineering program. And I was wondering why you changed over from your cable system to the rack and pinion system on your papers. Well, uh, to get into uh, quite a technical discussion, uh, uh, for one thing, I think I could answer you right off the bat, uh, the, the rack and pinion uh, will uh, probably run longer uh, than, the, than the cable will without having any fiction done on it. Because the cable gets stretched and you have to take up the slack. And the cable wears. And then uh, uh, it's, uh, I, I really feel that we can uh, transmit the power with uh, less machinery with a rack because uh, I, uh, I can use a 100,000 pound pull on my ordinary little, on that smaller size, one pitch gear that we use normally. And a gearbox. I can give you a 100,000 pound pull. Well, to get a 100,000-pound pull, you'd have to have more than one cable. You'd have to have, uh, oh, it depends, we used to use half-inch. Well, to do it with half-inch cable, you'd have to have at least uh, eight lines, we'll say. And uh, then uh, with the cable, you get friction. You get more friction you do with the rack and pinion. The cable goes over a pulley and take out 5% for friction as it goes around that pulley. Then it goes up around the next pulley, take out another 5% for friction as it goes over that pulley. But add another 5% to the one down to the first pulley because it's going twice as fast now, so you're losing 10% at the first pulley and 5% at the second. Then you go around the next pulley, see? <laughs> now remember, I'm talking about uh, eight lines, <laughs> and you can see where I'm coming out at if I keep on that story going. Well, that's actually what you have with, uh, with shields. In fact, the matter is, the whole industry copied my power control unit. Even the mighty Caterpillar and all used my power control unit for many years to uh, control their machine with. And I watched them down through the years, uh, putting uh, uh, four lines, and then they built a scraper a little bigger, and they put on six lines, and eight lines, and ten lines, and twelve lines, and I said, goodness gracious, don't let me know that they're not getting any more power when they go from eight lines to twelve lines. Uh, I ran into this the hard way, and uh, uh, found I couldn't, I made, I made a machine with uh, about twelve lines on it, and it didn't do what I thought it ought to do. <coughs> and I didn't know this how this five percent friction worked. <coughs> and uh, I said to my engineers, this was in Peoria, I said, what is the friction of a cable going over a ship? Nobody knew, see? <laughs> and I said, well, come on now, let's, let's do some digging and find out. And can't we get some books? Can't we find out? Isn't it in, isn't it in books? <laughs> they went down to the library, and they spent hours searching, and they found the answer that I've just given you. <laughs> so it takes away 5% plus 5 next time, and 5 next time, and so on. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I said to myself, boy, uh, those fellows apparently haven't, haven't done the digging that I did to find out. <laughs> you see, you have to do a little digging uh, to get these tracks sometimes. And uh, 
Uh, I'll admit that I got my boys to do it instead of me. <laughs> but anyhow, they dug it out for me, and uh, since then I've never used more than uh, uh, four shifts, eight lines, because <laughs> I know I'm just wasting power after that. Uh, I don't know what happened, but all of a sudden here, a year or so ago, <laughs> I saw they'd throw away the cable and went went to hydraulic. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> If you want a little story about uh, my argument about the hydraulic versus the uh, cable or the electric, of course, electric has the gears and the racks, too. Uh, um, I was speaking at an engineering society up in Milwaukee here not too long ago, and uh, the fellow that uh, was introducing me at the meeting, one of the engineers, came to me before the meeting. He said, uh, they've asked me to introduce you. And he said, I was talking to one of your boys down Peoria the other day, and uh, he told me that hydraulics was a bad word with you. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, I'll tell you what you do. Uh, he said, I'm a hydraulic engineer. I work with hydraulics, the transmission and so on. I said, I'll tell you what you do. I said, you, you brag on the hydraulics and kind of turn your nose up at my electric stuff a little bit, you know. Uh, raise the question and uh, let it go there. And... Uh, and then when I get up, well, I'll just do the opposite. I'll tell them I'm an electrical engineer, and uh, I'll uh, poke a little fun at your hydraulics. <laughs> so we get this crowd woke up, see? <laughs> Nothing to wake the crowd up any faster, you know. <laughs> you get two fellows bantering a little bit with each other. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Thank you. Is there anything within this now that, that further that you that you would like to get at? Or no, I mainly wanted to get your uh, point of view on this. Thank you. Who's the next one? Come on up here, will you? Uh, Mr. R.G. Colonel, my name is Ivan Secord. I'm a senior industrial engineering student here at the college. Uh, my question is, or rather, would you elaborate on what you consider to be your greatest achievement in life? What I consider to be your greatest achievement. My greatest achievement. I don't know just exactly well, how I'd use that, how well I I'd place that word achievement. Uh, uh, and I'm sure I wouldn't know what was the greatest achievement. I, uh, I've had a lot of fun building a lot of machines. Uh, how would you measure the, the word greatest? Uh, I mean, in production, in profit, uh, or in... Uh, well, uh, spiritually wise or materialistically wise? Well, if you take in spiritual things as well as material things, the greatest achievement was from one night I said, Lord... You take me and make me. I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm on, I'm on my way to heaven. And I said, Lord, uh, can't you do something for me? I do accept Jesus as my Savior. That's the way I put it to the Lord. And something happened. The Lord did do something for me right then and there. So that was probably the greatest thing in my life. I jumped out of bed and ran to my mother's room. And I said, Mother, I've just been saved. I knew she said many a tear over me. I was the black sheep of eight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> I was running with the wrong gang, going the wrong way. She said, Bob, we saw we couldn't handle you. We turned you over to Jesus quite a while ago. But we're glad you're saved now. Thank the Lord. And I've been glad ever since that I've been saved. Thank you very much. Do you, you want to ask a question about any other area of his life now that you've told that? I mean, uh, uh, the thing that gave him the most uh, 
oh, what shall you say, the thrill out of accomplishment or the thing that he looks at and says, well, this was the thing that I lived with most of my life and finally accomplished it. Uh, do you have anything like that in mind? Not right at hand. Not right at hand. All right. Anyone, uh, another question now that has arisen out of this? Uh, teachers, uh, would you come down here? Okay, we we'll catch you then too. Why don't you get in and speak up so that he can hear it? Uh, so we can hear it, rather. My name is Bob Hogberg. I'm a senior industrial engineering student. And you introduced the rubber wheel. And with this, not only came problems of uh, the newness, but also the size to compete, to, uh, to correlate with your machinery. Now, how did you overcome the size? No industry had ever made a tire this large. How did you get them to uh, make a wheel this size for you? Did you design it, or did they design it, or how did it come about? I have to correct one statement. Uh, uh, the first tires uh, were a standard size tire. Uh, I would say they were probably the largest standard size tire there was on the market at that time. But uh, it was a standard tire that I used on the first machine. And then uh, uh, we built lots of bigger ones since then. I don't know if they're going any special. The, the one that we're the biggest one that we're using now is 122 inches high and five feet wide. And uh, we made the mold for that tire and sent it to Goodrich and they made the tire. And uh, I made a statement in a little story I was writing just the other day that uh, <laughs> when bigger tires are made, we'll make them go out of the mold and Goodrich will make the tire. <laughs> <laughs> Got to give them a little plug, too. They're doing us a good job, see? <laughs> okay. uh, isn't it true, Mr. Lieutenant, that just recently they had some discussion with you about the fact that you, uh, you attain a tremendously... Uh, exactness in your molds that uh, it's not too easy to, to accomplish isn't that right yes I would say that of course that gets back into uh, the field of uh, welding versus casting as you probably know we don't use any castings but I put in four years apprenticeship learning to be an iron molder to make cast iron castings in a foundry from the time I was 14 till the time I was 18, I served a four-year apprenticeship to learning that business completely. And graduated as a full-fledged iron molder and worked at the trade for about a year after I had finished serving my apprenticeship. And so I know how to make castings. They use castings, but we use weldings. That's probably one of the main differences. And there isn't, uh, there isn't any castings in this mold at all. It's all welded together. And we can get, a, we can get an accuracy and a uniformity if they can't get any casting. Okay, thank you very much. Speak up good and loud. My name is Charles Smith, sir. Yes. I'm a senior industrial engineering student. I'm particularly interested in your offshore drilling rigs. I'd like to know how you came up with the idea. And secondly, I know that we've built some real big ones down there. And I'd like to know the difference in size between the first one that we built and the one that we're building now. 
first, how did how did you get the idea? And secondly, the difference or the growth that we've had. Well, first, we'll go back to the, the hydraulic and the cable uh, and the gear uh, versus uh, uh, each other. And uh, because when we began to build the offshores by that time, I had pretty well substantiated that the gear was the way to do it. Our competitors uh, are using hydraulics. And they lift it with a cylinder and lift it and then hold it and then lift it and then hold it and then lift it and then hold it. And that's the way they get the legs down and lift the 16 million pounds, roughly, uh, up out of the ocean. Because we've got to get that uh, machine up above the waves where the waves won't hit a broadside. Because uh, if we don't, why, <coughs> can't guarantee it'll be there when the storm's over. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, we're using the, the rack and pinion system to raise those machines with. Now, uh, let's see. What was your question? How did, how did you get the first idea? How did you come on the idea? Well, we, we, we were using the idea on grading machinery when we no, began I mean, these offshore. I mean, as far as the concept of the portable drilling rig. Oh, well, uh, uh, when you, you say the concept... Yes, that's right. Uh... I would say uh, they, they, have been, they have been made for shallow water, nothing like we've made. But uh, nothing new uh, about, uh, I don't think we were the originators of the idea of a floating rig to, to go out and drill from. Uh, although uh, in most cases they went out and drove piling and then set up on, those, on that piling and went to drilling. And of course we're going way beyond the length of piling, what, what piling would take you nowadays. Uh, now, the difference in the size between the first one that we built and the one that we're building now, can you give me an idea in the growth that we've had? Oh, I don't remember how uh, how high we, how long the legs were on the first one. I, I, would, I would say probably 100 feet. That would be a wild guess. And uh, they're over 400 feet now reaching down to the bottom of the ocean. Fine, that's, that answers my question. Thank you, sir. I wonder if, uh, if the, those who are here know that uh, they go from 209 feet now across, and even bigger than that now, one that's being built, that uh, a completely modern apartment building is built right on top of the deck that houses up to, well, I know one went up as high as 65, and it may be 50 or depending on the size of the rig. And uh, I believe we've, we have these in how many how many countries now? A dozen, 15 countries, Mr. Trout? About 15. We have them in about 15 countries now around the world. And they go way out to sea, you can appreciate, not just a little bit offshore. I said to somebody when I was talking, sometimes that title is, that name is deceiving, offshore drilling platform and some people think that means it's just a little ways out. I said, boy, it's way offshore sometimes. <laughs> All right, we have another question here. Can you come down and speak up well? My name is Charles Decker. I'm a junior here at the college in mechanical engineering. I'm acquainted with 
your electric truck and your scraper. And I, I'd like to know if you are going to put this variable speed that you use on your generators, on your diesels that drive your generators, are going to use this idea on your scrapers. Your scrapers are a, they run at either a medium or a constant high speed, and the truck runs at a variable speed. Are you going to put this idea onto the scrapers, or is it that good of an idea? Now, when you say the idea, first, this electric motor will run at any speed up to uh, its limit, uh, around uh, four or 5,000 RPM. But the generators are running at a constant speed, correct? Yes. On the, on well, the constant, side. as far as the governor can hold them. Yes, sir. Yeah. And on the, the electric truck, the generators aren't, hold at a, aren't held at a constant speed. You, so mean, you, can, you mean the motor that drives the truck? The drives the generator, yes, sir. The engine. The engine. Oh, you're talking about an electric truck now? Yes, sir. Uh, I would say the motor normally runs at a government speed on, on all of them, on ours and theirs, too. Okay, thank you. RG, my name is Bill Taylor. I'm a senior here in mechanical technology, and my question is that I've noticed that in your large scrapers you have many wheels that all drive and pull as they move the scraper along the ground. And uh, I don't understand how that when one wheel gets in soft ground that it doesn't start spinning while the rest of them keep pulling. Um, that's a very important question. That. Uh, I think a lot of our competitors would like to know the answer to. <laughs> it's the nature of a compound wound DC motor to run at a certain speed depending on the voltage that it's fed with. And every motor develops what we call a counter-motive force. A counter-motive volts are generated by the motor, not the generator now, I'm talking about the motor. So let's say you put 100 volts on that motor, and let's say that makes that motor run at uh, 200 RPM. And then you've got to have enough amperes to, to produce the torque that you require. And amperes time volts makes horsepower. I guess you understand that. Yes, sir. Now, when the, uh, when the motor slows down just the least little bit, then the counter-motive force drops down, and the voltage from the generator puts more amperes into the motor. I see. If it drops down just, you, you wouldn't notice the difference in the speed, but it's dropped enough so that it dropped the voltage a few volts, and that made another 100 amperes go through the motor, which made it maintain the same speed, roughly speaking. The difference is so slight you couldn't tell looking at it. It may be going a revolution a minute slower, about uh, maybe two or three revolutions a minute, but as far as your eye can see, it's still going at the same speed. Because the minute it, it got a few revolutions lower, slower than its mate, we'll say, on the other axle, uh, 
it, it drank more voltage, if I, if I can use that expression. The motor drank more, uh, more amperage, I should say. And the more amperage put more torque into the motor so that automatically they run at the same speed. I see. That's the nature of the animal. And uh, if it takes more amperage, the motor just, uh, when the motor slows down a little bit, it, uh, it cuts down the voltage so that more amperes go through the motor and develop more power. Okay, thank you, sir. My name is Dean Whitman. I'm a senior in industrial engineering here, and I'd like to know what are your plans. I saw that you made a smaller orange peel, and then you made a bigger one. I don't know what happened with it. I was out there while I was guarding, and uh, I was watching it being built, but I never saw it in action. I was wondering what the development or what the results of the orange peel, the bigger one, is going to, uh, what are you going to do with it? Uh, we figured the, probably the first job we would do with it would be to uh, dig uh, Grace Creek from uh, the highway out there by the plant up to town. <laughs> it needs to be enlarged, uh, and we plan to do that with it. But we just haven't got around to it yet, that's all. We've got so many irons in the fire. And uh, <laughs> they served notice on me the other day, and I, I just put the plans in, in production for a, another new kind of a scraper that I want to try out. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, you can't build it now. <laughs> we haven't got money enough to spend. <laughs> and that's holding back quite a few machines right now is enough money to spend. In fact, the matter is, we took a contract, you probably saw in the paper, for all these millions of dollars worth of those bombs, and we didn't get the bombs going as fast as we thought we were going to. Uh, so we ran out of money before we uh, got the thing going, and uh, we've been kind of pretty tight ever since. <laughs> we hope someday we'll get those bombs up to production where they belong, and uh, we're making more machines to do it with now. So in the meantime, until uh, the government gets off our neck <laughs> hollering for more bombs, <laughs> we have to kind of let some of that stuff lay. Is, uh, is the orange field that you built a big one, uh, it's really tremendous. Is that uh, coming up to what your stands, what you wanted? Is yes, it, it, it is. Come up with my expectation. The only thing I, I'm planning on, I planned on changing on it, and I just got part way on the change, and that is... I think I can do a better job if I run it down in the ditch instead of up on top of the bank. I have to reach down so far. So I think I'm going to run that machine right in the bottom of the ditch. And in order to do that, I'm going to put those star wheels. If you've seen the star tree roller, uh, I'm going to put some of those star wheels on it so it'll go down and go through the mud, the soft ground. That's, what, that's the only thing I really plan to do to it now, besides perhaps we'll find weak spots from time to time and sprinkle them up. Then there came a time in my life I want to tell you about. I won't take time to tell you about it, but I want to tell you just this much. There was a time in my life when I said, Lord, this is your ship. You take over. You give the commands. You give the order. And I thank God for that time in my life when I told the Lord to take over. If you haven't done it, I want you to do it because... It's the only secret of a happy life. You see, you don't have anything to worry about. You just put it in the Lord's hands. And the worst thing that happened, you'd die, and that'd be all right. You'd go to be with the Lord. No, no trouble about that, see. <laughs> well, anyhow, uh, <laughs> so on we go. And uh, then we came over here, and, and uh, 
I'll let some of the rest of them tell you what happened over here when we first came to uh, Longview, but uh, I'll still say the Lord has been with us, and we thank God for the privilege of having this school, and we just pray every day. Uh, in fact, Mom and I read a chapter every morning before I go to work and pray together, and we always pray that the Lord will bless this school and teach these young people how to go out in a wicked old world and tell the story of Jesus and his love in every walk of life. Not necessarily preachers or missionaries. We thank God that a lot of them are going to be preachers and missionaries. But that isn't absolutely necessary. Many times, the man that you're working beside will listen to you when he wouldn't listen to your preacher. And so I say, we laymen need to serve the Lord. And that's what I'm trying to do, just give my personal testimony. You know, I said to a preacher one day, sitting in his study, but just before going into his pulpit, and I wanted to, you know, work up a little argument or something, get liven things up a little bit, and I made this remark to the preacher. I said, you know, we laymen have a big advantage over you preachers. You know what he said to me? He fired back at me like a shot out of a gun. I, I, you'd have thought he knew the question was coming and all prepared for it. <laughs> I thought I was going to kind of surprise him a little bit. He fired right back and he said, Why, of course you do. He said, I'm a paid salesman and you're a satisfied customer. <laughs> <laughs> and we want these students to go out from this school as satisfied customers of the grace of God and spread it abroad in this wicked old world that we don't know where we're going or how we're going to get there, but let's just trust the Lord and tell the story of his love. God bless you. Amen. Now stay here just a minute, will you? And Mrs. Letourneau, will you come up here? I didn't tell her. I said to Mr. R.G. this afternoon, I'm going to have your wife speak tonight, too, but I'm not going to tell her about it. Is that all right? He said, that's all right. That's all right. So I had his permission. All right, now, Mrs. Letourneau, once upon a time, you were looking at Longview and you were flying in an airplane over here. What was it you said as you looked down on this place? Well, I looked down on as we flew over Longview, and I saw all these buildings down here. And I asked somebody in the plane. We had stopped and picked up several of the uh, business people of Longview, and they were going to go with us up and fly over Dangerfield. And uh, Mr. R.G. was thinking about putting a plant up at Dangerfield near the steel mill. So I asked them what that was down there, and they said, well, that's the old Harmon General Hospital. It's just been closed down, and they're going to tear it down. Well, I hate to see things torn down unless they have to be. And so I said, well, it seems to me like if the right person would get a hold of the right person in Washington, they could get a place like that for a school. And this guy turned around and looked at me, and he said, will you put a school down there if I get it for you? And I said, we sure would. <laughs> and <laughs> about three months later, he had it. <laughs> Determination is contagious. <laughs> so, so that's... Uh, that's the way we got the property here to uh, start the school. And uh, we had a lot of experiences in the early days. <laughs> For how many years did you live on campus, Mrs. Letourneau? Just approximately. Oh, just four and a half years ago. Just Fifteen four and a half years. years ago. So, 15 years. About 16. 16, 16, 16 years, years. That they lived on campus, which meant that you were pretty close to the students. Well, in the early days, I was in the office all the time and had all the discipline 
problems. <laughs> we had a lot of them those days. They were all GIs. <laughs> you started with the GIs coming back, didn't yes, you? Yes, it was. Our, they were nearly all of the students were GIs. That's right. They're fine people. See, they had all boys, of course, and uh, went along and had a good time, though, didn't you? <laughs> then you know you had about ten years. Wasn't it about ten years that you couldn't do any changing or on the campus uh, in the buildings or anything like that? Yeah. There was a period of about 10 years that the whole property had to wait because the government uh, had an agreement in there that if they wanted to retrieve it, they could do so. So it wasn't until 10 whole years had gone by that the real work of campus improvement really could begin. But it has begun. Uh, Mrs. Letourneau, just tell them something about... Uh, 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 could, could you tell them something about the experience of of living with a man like this that's just got years going around his head? She specializes on handling boys. <laughs> one big one. <laughs> traveled a lot, haven't you? Oh, we've we've traveled a lot. And in the early days, I'd, I'd take the children and go camping and on the construction jobs and things like that. Uh, in order to be with him. Otherwise, I didn't see him except on Sunday and sometimes then about every other Sunday. Sometimes it would be two or three Sundays in between. But uh, they were they were hard days, but they were happy days too. And uh, when you work together and trust the Lord, uh, those times can be happy times even though they're kind of rough sometimes. I hear some of the girls complaining nowadays on some of the things they they have to do and do without and I have to chuckle inside that <laughs> if they had to do some of the things we had to do <laughs> it'll be 49 years Monday since we were married so next year we'll celebrate our 50th but why they, don't you while you're standing here together Wasn't that so fun to hear from mom and pop, Archie and Evelyn Letourneau? As I've listened to those audio clips over the last month and preparing for this, I just found myself smiling, laughing out loud, and just warmed my heart to hear both their excitement for Christ, their love for students in this university, but also the joy that God gave them in doing the things they do. Well, as the Christian Polytechnic University, we have a couple of goals for our students. We want them to be graduates of ingenuity. We want them to chase dreams and pursue great big ideas and visions that God gives them. We also want them to be men and women who know Jesus and the joy of walking with him. And we want them to be people who bring those two worlds together. And I'm so grateful for our founders, R.G. and Evelyn Letourneau, and how they love the Lord, they love those around them, they love what God called them to do, and they tried to pull all those things together as faithfully as they could. If you happen to be in town here until June 12th, we invite you to stop by the local Gregg County Historical Museum and see a special exhibit currently going on on the life of R.G. Letourneau and Evelyn as well, his machine for the university and their legacy. As you heard during that conversation, for R.G. and Evelyn, their greatest legacy, as great as the machines are that they've made, is not only this university, but more importantly, the legacy that they've been able to leave by pointing people to Jesus. That's what we're still committed to as a university, and that is where we are committed to continue the legacy of R.G. and Evelyn Letourneau, among other things, in ingenuity, and engineering, and design. 
Well, I encourage you to check out that exhibit. If you can't make it to campus uh, or can't make it to town this summer, it will be here on the campus of Laterno University in September for homecoming. So if you haven't already, pencil in the dates, September 15th through 18th, 2021, we'll be here on the campus of Laterno University celebrating our 75th anniversary for a special four-day homecoming. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be an incredible few days together. We'll get to hear from the new president, Dr. Steve Mason, at a breakfast with the president. We're going to get to laugh together and have fun. We're going to see some incredible things and celebrate one another and what God has done and what God is doing through Laterno University. Well, until the fall, when we start this back up again, I want to thank you so much for watching today and joining me throughout this year. This was a new initiative. And so if you have any feedback on how we can improve, things we could do differently or things you'd like to see, don't, for, don't uh, hesitate to drop us a line, give us a phone call, uh, shoot us an email at alumni at letu.edu. That's alumni at letu.edu. Reach out to us through Facebook or however you want. We'd love to get your feedback and hear from you, not only what we can do differently with this or do better, but also if there's anything else you'd love to see us put together in reaching out to our alumni and connecting you to one another and connecting you back to this university. Well, we love you. We pray God's blessing over you as you go into the summer. May God continue to use you as his hands and feet in your workplaces, in your families, in your churches, and in your communities, all to the glory of Christ. Thanks for being here today. This episode of Alumni Conversations has been brought to you by Laterno University's Alumni Relations Office, connecting over 25,000 alumni around the world. Find out more by visiting www.letu.edu forward slash alumni. Thank you.